Good morning. Good morning. I am so excited to be back here teaching God's Word with you this morning after a number of weeks here of dealing with this this shoulder, this arm. Took it out of my sling and out of the abduction cushion. And healing is a slow process with rotator cuff and shoulder surgery. So I'm thankful for prayers. I'm thankful for the Lord working through the people that he has. And now the difficult part began the other day with the physical therapy that I get to participate in and gets to be pretty aggressive and it hurts. I had this shoulder done about 21 years or so ago. And the physical therapy part, if you really want to rehab, if you really want to recover and get your motion, range of motion back like I have in this shoulder, 21 years plus, I don't have that over here. I want that back. You will work hard on the rehab, the PT, but it is painful and it hurts. So uh, that's a good thing. There's probably a lesson, a message in that as well. But today, today we're going to talk about some things that I think will be near and dear to your heart and your spirit as they are mine. So let me pray us in and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is true. Thank you for the, the blessing that it is to, and the privilege that it is to come and and teach your word and share your word with the integrity with which it was written. Oh, Lord, by your spirit, would you just let it reach those who need to hear and receive each of these three things that we're going to talk about, just as you uh, reach deep into my spirit to convict and to remind me of these things that uh, can go from uh, issues to sin and to recurrent sin and Lord, if they're left unchecked. So, Father God, by your spirit, give us ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to what you have to say to us this morning. And again, thank you for the privilege and the blessing and the freedom that we have in this nation to uh, to, to gather and to hear your word. For Christ's sake, amen. And I'm mindful of and been praying a lot for the people in the Ukraine and I encourage you to do the same thing, especially believers in the Ukraine. And that God would intervene and accomplish his purpose and, and, and just restore the peace, restore the peace. But we know, we know as Christians, if you study the word of God, and I've been doing that a lot lately as it relates to looking how these things fit into eschatology, which means end times, and they certainly do. And I shared that with you this past week in a devotion and uh, you can get those, by the way, just by going to onlyjesus.life or desperatemen.org and signing up to receive that, and you'll get everything that I do, everything that I write, teach, every video. Um, also, want to be mindful to remind you, my new book was released just before my surgery. It's called When the Lost Get Found, Confronting the Prodigal in You and Me. It's a, it's a really interesting take on the prodigal son and how we see ourselves in his life as well as that of the older brother. And those who've read it have been gracious and generous in their reviews and how it's uh, spoken directly in their heart. And that's why I believe the Lord gave it to me to write. So you can get it on Amazon. You can get it on any online bookstore. I think some bookstores are carrying it. It's published by Trilogy Christian Publishing. So I encourage you to do that because it will help you in your walk. It'll help you understand if you really are born again in Christ, it'll help you to go deeper in your relationship with Christ. So that's my commercial on that. And I wouldn't say it if it wasn't the truth, that it will help you and encourage you and draw you closer to the Lord. And I'm excited about that and what God's going to do with it. Right. Title right. of this message is Exposed. 
exposed. Here are two passages from the mouth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The first one is found in Luke 12, 2 and 3. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you've whispered in the ear and in the rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And in Matthew 12, 36, he said something similar. Jesus said, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for those words in the day of judgment. A number of months ago, I spoke, I taught a message, wrote and taught a message called The Scariest Words in the Bible. And those were those seven words that Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. And those are indeed the scariest words that any human could possibly hear and the scariest words in all of the Bible. But behind those, these two passages should confront us as they did me, which is how I ended up getting into this message in these three areas we're going to talk about today. But when Jesus said that there's, not, there's nothing that's concealed, nothing you've thought or done is going to be concealed, it's going to be revealed, the light's going to shine on it. The light's going to shine on it. It's going to shine into your life in these areas that you don't want exposed. You're going to be exposed. In fact, you already have been before the Lord God. It's just that our time of judgment hasn't come yet. We'll talk about judgment itself some other time. But these things are all going to be exposed and nothing that you've done, whether you think it was hidden, those hidden secret sins, they're not hidden from God. They may be hidden from other people. You may hide it from your wife, from your children, from your co-workers, from your husband, from whoever, but they're not hidden from God. And then the one that really gets me, people who have a what can be a caustic tongue at times, and we're going to talk about that this morning, Jesus said every careless word. Every careless word. Oh, haven't you spoken some careless words in your life that you wish you could just grab back, that you wish you could just reel them back in off your tongue and you'd you bite your tongue off if you could just reel those in and not say those words, the careless words? Well, I, I find that to be a, a serious wake-up call and led into what we're going to talk about this morning. In Second uh, Corinthians 12, 7, I'm going to share a verse. The Apostle Paul was talking about his own life and some of the things he struggled with. Now, Romans 7 is the, is the best uh, chapter in the Bible in terms of transparency of, of a man just speaking out about you know, sin and how it's affected his life and how he still wrestled with things. And, and along that same line, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul said these words, because of the, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he was talking about a vision he'd been having. For this reason, to keep me from exalting myself or getting puffed up or prideful about myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself, a thorn in the flesh from Satan himself to keep Paul from getting puffed up and prideful and exalting himself. Those thorns in the flesh sometimes, uh, whether it's from Satan or whether it's from our own carnal self, that, that part of us that we refuse to let the Holy Spirit shine the light on and redeem and get in there and eradicate like a cancer, we hold on to certain areas of our lives like that. 
I don't know why. You know, the, the, we, when you get saved, when you're born again in Christ, you are born again in Christ from that moment forward. But there are areas of our lives that sanctification is that process ongoing of being saved. So we are being saved even though we are fully saved. And that's difficult for some to understand, but it's really important because it's the truth. You are made perfect in Christ by his blood before God. We will not be judged according to for our salvation because we are born again in Christ. But this process, once we are saved, goes on the rest of our lives. We are being made perfect, the Bible said. We are being saved, Paul said. doesn't mean we're not saved, but we're, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. But in that process are revealed these things, these areas in our lives that are sin. They're things that are sin that we won't give up. For whatever reason, we cling to them. They're parts of our lives that we hold on to. That's the old smelly flesh. And so what I hope to do today is to share three of those that have plagued me with a hope that you'll draw some courage to let the Holy Spirit deal with you on them as he is me and has with me for a long, long time. But they are those thorns in the flesh that are recurrent that I keep having to go back to the Lord on. This is not about me. I never make this about me. It's never about me. This is about the Lord God, about Jesus Christ. It's all about him. But sometimes, sometimes we have to share things, and I'm compelled to do that today, that are maybe a little more personal, some transparency here, just so that you might feel the freedom, even if it's just, even if it's just between you and God, to sit down and admit your sin and confess your sin and let him work on those things. Because it's a process. It's a process. And he knows and understands that. So let's get started. The first one. The first one it has caused me much pain and much shame and, and much pain for others, beginning with my wife, my family, other people, friends, is a critical spirit, a critical spirit. The, the Bible clearly talks about a critical spirit. And, and, and if you know, as, as I say the words, if that's something that you must deal with, that you have to own, that you have to own because I've said the words, and you went, oh, wait a minute, Walter, that stings. If it stings, it's a good thing because the Holy Spirit now is speaking to you through these words in a critical spirit. And what do I mean by that? Critical spirit tears things down, tears them down. Critical words that tear things down. They're destructive. They tear things down. They bring down things. And when I say things, more than that, I mean people. They tear people down. Critical spirit or critical words tear people down. Okay? You're looking to find what's wrong instead of what's right. I remember one time years ago early in our marriage, my wife pointed this out to me, pointed this out to me in my own spirit. And it's crushing. And I have, I continue to struggle with that. These things, by the way, have to do with the way you were parented, the way your parents did things, the way you saw things modeled, how you were raised. There's a lot of things that go into that. But there's not excuses. They're not excuses. It's good to know and understand that. But again, as Jesus said here, I'm going to be held accountable for these critical words, these things that tear down and then wound people. They wound people. Sometimes they can destroy them, taken to extremes. Goes from destruction to tearing things down to wounding people to um, just to killing their spirit. 
killing their spirit. Oh, critical spirit is such, it's, it's from the devil, it's from Satan, or it's from that piece of our flesh that we just won't let go of, that we won't let go of. There's a verse in Proverbs 12:18 that I had as a screensaver in my computer for many years just because I've struggled with this for a long, long time. It's words from Solomon of Proverbs 12:18, and you'd be mindful to, it'd be good for you to remember this and to write these down as well, Proverbs 12:18, And it says this, there's one who speaks rashly, rashly, like the thrust of a sword, like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing, brings healing. Two very strong contrasts. There's one who speaks rashly, like the thrust of a sword, like you're stabbing someone. You're stabbing someone. Do you want to stab those you love? You want to stab your husband or your wife or your children or your friends or others? You want to stab them like with a sword? It's a picture that Solomon has given us. The tongue of the wise brings healing. There's no wisdom in the foolishness, in the sinfulness of speaking rashly. The one thing I've shared a number of times that uh, it might be of interest to you, may not, but when I was a young man, I was a kid and a young man running around my buddies and stuff we thought was cool to use profane language and just stuff like that. It's just what young guys did as a preteens and teenagers and whatever reason, and then the Lord delivered me from that, and I haven't used profanity in probably 50 years. I don't know, a long, long, long time. It just took that away. I'm very thankful for that. But here's the thing. There's, there's no boasting in that, by the way, because here's the thing. I don't have to use profane words to cuss someone out to wear them out. The, th the thrust of the sword, the rash words, harsh words, you see, I don't need to use profanity to use harsh and rash words on someone or to someone that accomplishes the same thing as if I was stringing out a long uh, or passing out a long string of profanity, profane and vulgar words. Look, my words, those harsh words, those rash words are just as much sin as if I was using the profane words themselves. There's no, there's no good for me that I don't cuss when I haven't done that a long time. So what? So what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But it's not it's not um, these these harsh and rash words that we use sometimes that hurt, that inflict pain, that destroy, that tear down, that wound. It's like profane words. They're sin. They're sin. It causes me to sin. I am sinning when I use that and do that, you see. James, uh, if you read the book of James, and it's only five chapters, and you can sit down and read it in 15, 20 minutes, probably maybe 30. It takes a lot longer to study it. I'm going to share with you some passages from James today because he really gets at these things, and especially when it comes to the tongue. And so I'm going to read from James 3, a part of verses 6 through 10, to help um, kind of reinforce here or add to what Solomon said about rash words like thrust of a sword. And James started this out in, in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 6. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. The very world of unrighteousness. That's pretty direct, isn't it? The tongue is a fire. The very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body parts. Is that which defiles the whole body 
and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. The tongue is a fire, world of unrighteousness, and can be set on fire the course of our lives and set on fire by hell itself, by Satan himself. That's how much power there is in the tongue. You know, he used the analogy about how a small rudder steers mighty ships. Talks about the tongue and the smallest appendages we have controlling our lives, controlling how we think and or, or the expressions of what we think. Those words we say that I just talked about that Jesus said we're going to be held accountable for. James goes on to say, it's restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, we bless the Lord Jesus, and with it, we curse people. Bless the Lord, oh Lord, thank you for this. Bless and praise your holy name and turn around and curse someone. Curse someone in your family, someone you work, someone you don't like, someone who's politically opposite from you. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and bless you, Father God, and thank you. And you hate on all these people who are politically different from you or think differently from you or all the things that we do. And James said, listen, <laughs> they've all been made in the likeness, the image of God. All these people that you are cursing and railing on, just like you and I, they've been made in the image of God. Image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And he ends this by saying, my brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. You can't bless God and curse other people who are still made in his image, whether you like them or not, whether they're full of sin or not. Maybe you're supposed to be the one who is the salt and light to them, the light of Christ, his words, his tongue. Not cursing and tearing them down and destroying them. So here's the cure for the critical spirit. I'm going to give you three of these things. I'm going to give you a cure for each one. The cure for the critical spirit is this. And again, these are, if you flip the page in James, go to James 4. In James 4, 11, he said this. Don't criticize one another. They said, well, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer, and he's talking about believers now, believer to believer, defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. And why is that important? Because again, James, this James was the half-brother of Jesus, who initially just thought he was a, a man. It was his brother growing up, and he wasn't Messiah, but he became a, a devout follower of Christ and one of the leaders of the new church, the Christian church, after Jesus was crucified. Because he remembers, I'm sure he remembers the words that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in that whole discourse in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Jesus goes into that talking about judge not lest you be judged. Because with the ruler, with the measure you use to judge other people, Whatever it is you use to line up other people and nail them and tear them down or criticize them or jab and stab them, that same measure is going to be flipped back onto you. It's going to be a mirror set up there, and you're going to see yourself in it now and say, okay, you judged someone, your wife, a friend, someone you hate, an enemy. You judged them according to this set of standards. All right, Walter, how do you stand up? How do you measure up? How do you measure up according to that? That's what Jesus said. And that's why James said those words. A verse that you need to commit to memory is found in Ephesians 4.29. As a little boy growing up in the church, we all memorize Ephesians 4.32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. 
That's a famous verse. You need to know that one, too. That's Ephesians 4.32. But the verses leading up to that, Ephesians 4.29, is powerful and perhaps the most powerful when it comes to the critical spirit, the tongue, and the kind of words we should be using, not the kind of words come, that come out of a critical and hateful spirit. And so Paul wrote this to the Ephesians. He said, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But only such a word is good for three things. Good for three things. Edification, according to the need of the moment, gives grace to the hearer. I could spend a long time teaching a message on this, but let me give you the overview quickly. Edification means what? Building up. To edify something means to build up. Only use the words, Walter, that are good for building up according to the need of the moment. What's that mean? A timely word. That timely word, when someone needs an encouraging word to breathe in their spirit because they're, they're down, they're discouraged, they're troubled, something's happened. So it's an edifying, building up word. It's a timely word and words that give grace, that pour out grace to the hearer. For people that have a critical spirit, this is unnatural. This is very difficult. And it takes long seasons with the Holy Spirit to let them work on you to be able to move, move, cut out that critical, um, hateful, mean-spirited, critical spirit tongue and, and put into you that tongue of Jesus, the tongue of Jesus. Jesus said sharp things to some people. Sometimes he did. He was critical at some times. He was. But the manner and the spirit and the things we're going to get into as we move on become clear are different. And so study those things. Study those things. But these words, these words, threefold words, they need to be building up. They need to be encouraging and timely. And they need to be full of grace because God gave you grace and he gave me grace. Despite the words and the things I've said that I'll be held accountable for up here, God still pours out grace to me. And we need to pour out grace on those, especially in the time and seasons we live in now. I teach hard stuff. I do. I teach really hard stuff that people, most people don't want to hear. And they seem sometimes like hard. They're not harsh words. They're hard words. But they're also always full of grace and seasoned with salt to help people understand that God does love them, that there is a path laid out. We'll, we'll close with that later. The second one is this, contentious spirit. Excuse me, contentious attitude. Critical spirit, contentious attitude. What does the word contentious mean? Well, two things come to mind. The two keys we're going to focus on. Contentious, contentious uh, attitude means disagreeable and argumentative. Disagreeable and argumentative. We look for an argument. We look for a fight. We kind of pick, pick, pick at things. That's a contentious person. Someone who's, if you said the sky is blue, they'd say, well, it's not exactly blue. It's more of a azure. It's more of a something. They come up with some other thing. You say, oh, hey, man, I bet this car is really great. Yeah, but, you know, it, it doesn't get the gas mileage that this one does. They're always going to find some little thing that sounds like they're trying to pick an argument or just be disagreeable. They're just disagreeable by nature. And, and that kind of thing, just like the critical spirit that, that tears and, and destroys, and it's a different kind of thing, but in the same sense, it's something negative that we don't want to be a part of as Christians. And yet we are. We're, we're, the contentious spirit is disagreeing, always doing that and arguing about everything and picking fights about everything. My wife and I have had many discussions about that. 
um, on both sides, but mostly me, about being contentious about things. In fact, the verse I'm going to share, the first one in Proverbs um, 25, 24, says this. It's better to live in a corner of a roof, a corner of a roof, than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It's better to live in the corner of the roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, I want you to know that in my Bible, many, 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 many years ago, I wrote in the corner beside that contentious man. Because I'm more contentious in my spirit than my wife is. I just am. I don't know. I don't know why. Again, I, some of these things are were product of how we were raised and all those things. But at the end of the day, we have to own that. And so this contentious, argumentative, or disagreeable, uh, not mean-spirited necessarily, just picking at things. Just pick, 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 pick. So that can be contentious men or women because in our home, the contentious person was me, not my wife. There's another verse in Proverbs 26, 1, similar. Um, he said this, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. What is charcoal or hot embers or wood to fire? They, they stoke it, don't they? They ignite the flames. They cause it to get hotter and hotter and ultimately turn into a fire. Well, that's what a contentious person can do that's argumentative or picking all the time and disagreeable, just leading to an argument that can turn into a fight, that can turn into something much worse. And that's why the Bible talks again about a contentious spirit. This is sin. This is sin. It's not just something annoying or whatever. If you pick it to death and you end up leading into something that causes arguments that lead to other things, that lead to misery in your home or your work or just whatever, it is sin. Why would you want to do that? The cure is pretty simple. It's simple to read. It's simple to talk about. For people that are really, really contentious, it's difficult to move on from that. And so let me give you a few examples. Again, these are right from the words of the mouth of Jesus. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, I shared with you the last one about judging from Matthew 7. Earlier, right after he gets in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker in your marriage? Are you a peacemaker in your home with your children? Are you a peacemaker at work? Do you do your best to keep the peace? To use the kind of language and words instead of a critical spirit that you're trying to edify and build up? There's certainly times in my life when I've been critical of critical spirit and contentious attitude and have been the villain in all these, been the sinner in these, the sinner. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers will be called sons of God, trying to make peace. Going back to that same chapter, in James chapter James 3, we talked about before in the tongue. Again, just like Jesus, I, now I split these up because I'm going to show you the sort of the before and the after. But he always ends, even if he's, if he's calling people out or, or um, teaching a difficult lesson, he reels it in just as James does here to give you answers or solutions to that. He talked about the tongue, the fire from hell. From just the, the way the tongue can be a destroyer, all those things about it. But if you keep reading on down in verses 17 and 18, he said this, but wisdom from above is first pure. And then back to what Jesus said, peace loving, peace loving. Wisdom, the wise words, the wise tongue is pure, peace loving, gentle, gentle, not harsh, not striking, not piercing like the sword, 
gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. To have to work hard to be more of a peacemaker. You know, for some people, the way we're wired and our temperaments, our personalities, it just doesn't come naturally, doesn't come easy. And that is exactly when we have to allow the Holy Spirit in to take control of those areas of our lives. And the last one we're going to talk about today, it's the condescending tone. Critical spirit, condescending, excuse me, uh, contentious attitude, condescending tone. What do I mean by that? You've heard that expression, it's not what you say, but how you say it. Not what you say, but how you say it. You've probably heard that expression all your adult life, or at least many times. This is it. This is it. With a condescending tone, it's not what you say as much as it is how you say it or how the person hearing it receives it. I've said things a number of times with absolutely no condescension in mind at all. But because of the way it was received or heard by someone else, they received it that way. And so what does that mean? What does condescension mean? Well, there's two aspects of it I want to talk about it for a few minutes. One is that prideful side. There's a prideful side. It, it sounds like, you know, you think you know more than I do. You know more than I You are kind of talking down to me, condescending. This one was interesting for me as we were just studying this time because I've had people, and, and whether it's Gigi or friends, someone who say, well, I mean, that sounds like condescending. I, look, I, I don't mean that. But just because I don't mean it doesn't mean that someone doesn't take it that way. I can't help how people take everything that I say. When I'm teaching the Word of God, a lot of people get upset about a lot of things that I say, and I can't help that. I'm teaching what the Holy Spirit says to teach. Now, maybe I could teach it in a, a different way, a more pleasant way, a softer, gentler way. I, I don't know. I'll be held accountable to God for those things. But in my speech and in my uh, conversations with my family, or with my friends, or people at work, just people in general, then if I have a condescending tone, I need to be mindful of it. And there are people who will call that out to me and have. And I go, wow, I, I, don't, I don't get that. I don't get that, because it certainly wasn't meant that way. And so all I can do sometimes is just apologize. So, well, I certainly didn't mean it that way. And I'm sorry that you took it that way. Now, there are people on the receiving side, by the way, that get their feelings hurt about everything. And so it's not all on me. Although I certainly own my part of it, but there are people who you get your feelings hurt no matter what. You take everything somebody says as negative, and maybe again you were raised that way. Maybe that's how your parents taught you or talked to you. I don't know. I don't know. I can't own that, and it's hard to get into that. Um, and it br brings difficulties in relationships, especially marriages, and then with parenting, because it depends on how our parents brought us up, how they talked to us, the words they used, uh, whether they were harsh or kind or. Discipline, no discipline, all those things that we have to figure out and work out through marriage and parenting. I can't help how some people receive the things I say. If I know and someone says to me, that was rude or hurt my feelings, then I'll apologize. And sometimes you have to do that. You, you owe that person the courage for you to say, look, hey, you know what? I didn't like that. And so we may get an argument about that. Well, I'm sorry, but this is what I mean. And I mean that. And so that's where conflict comes from. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a condescending tone, condescending tone, and someone calls it out to you or calls you out for that, whether it's the Holy Spirit or someone that brings alongside you, and you do nothing about that, that is sin. That is sin. You're not to talk down to people in a prideful sense. 
or in a superior sense, like uh, you make people feel like, you know, that they're less than you. They're less than you. I've worked hard on that over the years just because most of the people in my ministry for the last 50, 20 years have been people that people do talk down to, talk bad about, talk whatever about because they're poor, homeless, in prison, drug addicts, things like that. I'm no better than anyone else, whether sitting in a cell block in a prison cell or or on the street or in, in a homeless shelter or at a mission. It doesn't matter to me. And the Lord has used that in my life. And I'm very, very thankful for that because otherwise I probably would have been a condescending man. That's the issue with the condescending tone of voice. And be mindful of that. And if someone calls you out for that, make sure that you take it before the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to see what or that you need to own. In Luke 18, Jesus told a story, and this really speaks to both of these, and I'm going I'm to share this with you as we begin to wrap up here in Luke 18. In verse 9, it says this, And Jesus told this parable to some people, listen to this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they viewed others with contempt. That is condescension. That's condescending. They viewed others with contempt. There are so many people who view people with contempt, especially those who politically are totally opposite, totally opposed. People are viewed with contempt. There's probably nowhere else in our world today are people viewed with contempt more on either side than in politics, and especially in the United States. We're viewing people with contempt. We're going to hear what Jesus has to say about that. They thought they were righteous in themselves and viewed others with contempt. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank, listen to this, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, and even this stinking tax collector, because they were the pits. They were the pits. <laughs> I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. That was the self-righteous Pharisee, and that was his prayer. Can you imagine praying something to God like that? But they did. When you are self-righteous, when you think you've got it all made, you, you, you know it, you're better, you're living better, you're all these things. God looks at that self-righteousness, that pathetic prayer, and a man that has the audacity and the contemptuousness and the condescending to say, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Oh, boy, what a dog he is. Tax collectors were considered the, the scum of the earth back then because a lot of them were Jews who were collecting taxes from Jews for the Romans, like Matthew. And that's what made them the dogs. They were the dregs. They were the lowest in society to the Jews, to the Pharisees, were these tax collectors like Matthew. So that was his prayer. But the tax collector was standing off a ways away by himself. He was unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven, but instead hung his head, beat his breast, and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. Oh, God, be merciful to me. That's the one that Jesus pointed out. Who do you think, whose prayer do you think God heard? Answer The cure for condescending attitude, that condescension, that tone, is just abject humility. Just humility. In Proverbs 15, 33, uh, Solomon wrote that humility comes before honor. 
You want people to honor you, then be a humble spirit, be a humble soul, be a humble soul, and people will honor you for that. And even if they do not, God will honor you for that. Paul said in Philippians 2, that wonderful chapter called the Kenosis, where Jesus emptied himself. It says, do nothing from selfishness or, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Here's the key to getting on the other side of this condescension. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's a huge step for some of us. That's a huge step regarding other people more important than you. Taking that back, see, say, I'll sit down here at this end of the table, let all the important people sit up there. Jesus talked about that in another parable. There's a wise saying, well, President Teddy Roosevelt's one that said this based on my research. He said, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I've heard that from a, long, a lot of years, and until I started digging on it last night, I had no clue it was the credit for saying that was given to Teddy Roosevelt, the president, the old Rough Riders. He said, people don't know, I don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's a great word. That is a great word. And that's what is taught here. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. This critical spirit, contentious attitude, and condescending tone. I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit has reached into your spirit this morning and just grabbed you up and you said, oh, man, Walter's talking to me. Walter's talking to me. I'm not, but the Holy Spirit is. Maybe. You just need to get along with him. This message, it'll be posted soon. The written part, you can print it out and pray through it or work through it, however you want to do that. The video will be posted here in a day or so, as well as the audio podcast version. You can get it any way you want to, to let the Holy Spirit look at you and say, Walter, you got a critical spirit. Uh, you're contentious. You're contentious, or you're speaking in a condescending tone. Those things, let him work on those things. Because the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is the opposite of those things. And that's where he wants us to be as Christians. So I've got three questions that we wrap this up. Which one of these things, which one of these three, critical spirit, contentious attitude, condescending tone, are your thorn in the flesh? Are any of them your thorn in the flesh? Is this something that you're struggling with, as I have over many years? Then take it to the Lord. That's the second question. Have you, have you taken it to the Lord and confessed it? Say, Lord, look, I, I, I'm, I'm backsliding here. I, I need help with this. You brought this to my mind. I didn't just think this up. There must be something going on. So, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you help me with this? Would you flush this out? Would you cut out this remnant of this, this cancer that remains within my flesh that I wouldn't be like that? <laughs> I'd be encouraging and edifying those words that Paul talked about in Ephesians 9. And then the other thing is, have you... um. Have you sought forgiveness? Have you reconciled with those that maybe you have um, wounded through your critical spirit uh, that you just absolutely worn out, maybe maybe caused relationships to break off because of your contentiousness? Always pick, 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 and always arguing, always finding fault, always all that stuff, you know. And then when you do, talking down like the self-righteous prayer, saying, I'm glad I'm not like you. Man, I may have a problem, but boy, you've got real problems. Have you gone and reconciled those relationships? Have you asked for forgiveness? Because if not, the Holy Spirit wants you to do that. He absolutely does. He wants you to reconcile with others 
when you know that those issues are there and he calls your attention. Maybe he'll bring somebody to your mind. I don't know. I don't know. I know what he's done with my my mind and my time, my life, my marriage, Gigi and our kids and others. That it brings it. I'm quick to respond. I may be a stubborn man, but if Holy Spirit gets on me about something, whew, I don't let that sit very long. Last word. If you find yourself in front of this video or listen to this audio, what, how are you receiving this? And you wonder how, well, I can tell you how the Holy Spirit did that. Then did it for one reason, because if you are not born again in Christ, if you have not seen that you are a sinner, that you're full of sin, that, that you're just like us, and all these things maybe apply to you, or maybe there are other ones that do, this doesn't, but some other ones do, and you know that you are miserable and lost in your sin, and you're listening to this because you're without hope, you're hopeless. And you're just groveling around trying to find hope and make sense of this world. Another war starting up, people attacking other people for no apparent reason, and all that stuff going on in our world and our nation, that all the divisiveness and all the hate and the stuff and things going on, and you just can't make any sense of it. Well, the Word of God can make sense of it. But never mind that right now. Just think about yourself and your own situation, because here's the deal. God made a way for you. I made a way for you out of all of that, that all of your misery, all the sin would be taken away and you'd be put on a path to, uh, to, to a life that you really want, that in your heart of hearts you desire. But you've just been so stubborn because you thought it can't be that way. There can't be a God like the God of the Bible. Jesus can't be the only way. There's other ways. There's got to be other ways. There's other people. There's other religions. There's all these things out there. How can Christianity be the only way? My only answer to that is because um, that's what God said, and Jesus said in his own words in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So by faith in Jesus that he was telling the truth, I confessed my sins and received him as my Savior many, many years ago and, and live according to his word and his truth by the power of his Holy Spirit. And you can as well. You can as well, because apart from that, Jesus said, you can do nothing. You'll continue to struggle and wrestle with and all these things that are bringing you down and, and causing you such a miserable life. And you know what? There are people that are lost that just think life is wonderful and a great time. And perhaps those are the most pitiful, as the Bible would refer to it. So I'm going to pray and wrap this up, hoping that if you're hearing this and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that you would, in fact, confess your sin and receive him today. I'm not saying your life will get easy. Things will immediately get changed and better. But this is today. This is temporal. It's a day. I'm talking about eternity eternity, the rest of your life, and where you spend life after this life. That's the most important thing. And Jesus Jesus made a way. He made a way. And that's the ultimate expression of the love of God. He did. He did. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, and all of us who struggle with a critical spirit, continue to work on us to replace that with uh, words of encouragement, words of love, words of peace, and the same with a contentious spirit, Lord, that we would be peacemakers and and we would never be found to be condescending, talking down to anyone, because we know that Jesus alone condescended to us to become a man just so that he might take the cross in place of us and save us from our sins. And 
So help us to, to, to receive that salvation and then also have the joy of that, that we would speak to others as if they were more important than ourselves, if more important than ourselves. Hard thing to do, but help us. Help us as we seek to do that for Christ's sake. Amen. God bless you and have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.